Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Would you give a great Calvary welcome to Reverend Sean Ellen? Well, praise God, everybody. I want to go right into the Word of God. And just to, to ease your mind and make you less nervous, when I first started preaching, my dad told me that he said, if you could learn one thing, it would help you and benefit your ministry tremendously. He said, consider preaching a sermon like flying a plane. He said, if you don't know how to land, you're better off crashing than to stay in a holding pattern. So I learned a long time ago that it's better to crash than it is to stay up. So you should take comfort in those words, as the Scripture says. Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. I want to talk to you briefly about the fingerprints of a Savior. Lord, Help me to do a good job in a short amount of time. Thank you for the tremendous presence that's in this place. Thank you for the heritage of this great church. And uh, I just pray, God, that you would anoint me, but also anoint the hearer to hear the word, to be challenged by the word, and ultimately to be changed by the word. Let there be understanding in this house. And we thank you, God, for the opportunity to get into your word and for your tremendous presence in this place. In Jesus' name. Fingerprints. All fingers, toes, feet, and palms are covered with small ridges that are arranged in connected units called dermal or friction ridges. Natural secretions plus dirt on these surfaces leave behind an impression on the objects with which they can come in contact, and these are called fingerprints. Fingerprints. All the way back from 1792 to 1750 BC in Babylon, or Babylon, fingerprints were pressed into clay tablets to mark contracts. Chinese documents showing fingerprints date back to the third century BC, and the earliest written study was from a Dr. Nehemiah in 1684, where he described the patterns he saw on human hands under a microscope, including the presence of these ridges. Then in 1788, Johann Mayer noted that the arrangement of skin ridges is never duplicated in two persons. He, he was believed to be the first scientist to recognize this fact, that everyone, even identical twins, have unique fingerprints. In 1856, Sir William Herschel began the collection of fingerprints and noted that they were not altered by age. So as you get older, your fingerprints are still the same. And from as soon as 10 weeks in the womb, the establishment of the pattern of what's going to be your fingerprints, they believe, actually starts. In 1883, Alfonso Bertillon created a way to ID criminals that was successfully used to catch repeat offenders using their fingertips. And then in 1888, Sir Francis Galton and Sir Edmund Henry developed the fingerprint classification system that is still in use in the U.S. today. It's interesting, the study of fingerprints. You know, Tom, Pastor Ellis, I should say, 
I grew up with him, though, so that's really hard. So uh, Pastor Ellis gave me a, a, a very nice introduction, and I appreciate that. A few weeks ago, and, and I was actually, um, this, this was going to be a little awkward, this next part, because, but I really felt I was supposed to do it. So a few weeks ago, I spoke to about 130 students at Glen Oak, student-athletes at Glen Oak High School in Plain Township, Ohio. And before I got up to, to speak, they read this bio. Sean Eller is currently serving as COO of Ohio Gradings and is over all the day-to-day operations of the company. Sean was born and raised in Canton, Ohio as a graduate of Timken High School. He also has an associate's degree in civil engineering from Stark State College, a bachelor's degree in business management from Malone University, and an MBA from Rochester Institute of Technology. He started at Ohio Gradings in 1995 in an entry-level drafting position. Uh, He has also worked on the shop floor in sales, inside and outside sales, detailing, project management. He was chaplain, director of order fulfillment, general manager of the OGI Texas facility, vice president before, and also vice president before assuming his current role as COO. He spent seven years in Houston, Texas area while general manager of the Texas operation. He's also a licensed minister and serves in his local church. Sean and his wife Angela have four children and currently reside in Jackson Township. I also wanted to present to you a possible bio for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary is the widow of one Joseph the carpenter. She was present in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out. She was a loving mother to their children and a devout follower of Jesus, her oldest child, even after his death. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse number 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. Mary found herself in the upper room. The upper room that we are so passionate about as Pentecostals. And she was about to experience the outpouring of the Holy Ghost among the original 120 that found themselves there. But you see, this is her current state. But her story is so much more than a bio snapshot of that moment in time. And yet we see her follow through to this point. Luke chapter 2, verse number 18 and 19, and it says, And all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And notice verse number 19. It says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Everyone say pondered in her heart. Now, angels, the virgin birth, shepherds, Simeon, the, the prophet, Anna, the prophetess, the 12-year-old Jesus teaching doctors and then saying, I must be about my father's business, had all of her head spinning and trying to figure out what is really going on. If you could imagine yourself as just a young child being visited by an angel, nothing special about you, no expectation of anything more than to live in poverty, someday get married, and then uh, go through life raising children till you die. That was the expectation. And all of a sudden, she finds herself visited by an angel. She finds herself a virgin having a child. Shepherds come and visit her. Anna, the prophetess, Simeon, all these miraculous events. And she is just at a loss for what's going on. But notice, she kept 
these things and pondered them in her heart. That's an indication of her trying to figure out what is going on in this life I'm living. How is this being directed and how am I being moved on by the God that I serve and love? And really, it all happened because she was willing to say, whatever God says to me, let it be. That's it. That's all she did. When God or the angel visited her, that's her response. Ah, whatever. I trust you. I trust you. What a tremendous life story that we see come from that very simple acknowledgement of her trust in God. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Mary was keeping a heart journal. She stored things there until God brought clear vision. The Bible says, now we see through a glass darkly. But someday, all these things are going to start painting a clear picture. That right now, I don't quite understand what's going on in my life. Right now, I don't necessarily understand as he orders my steps, as he directs my paths, and I try my best to follow and obey wherever he's commanded me to go. I don't understand always because it's so dim and dark right now. But someday, if I keep that story deep in my heart and I write that journal, we'll start to see God revealing and bringing clarity to those things. Second Samuel chapter 7 verse 18 it says then king David went in and sat before the Lord and he said who am I sovereign lord and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight sovereign lord you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant and this decree sovereign lord is for a mere human What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known. Made it known to your servant. David could look back on what God has done and it was evidence that God's fingerprints were all over his life. Undeniable evidence of a loving Savior. But the thing was, he knew the rest of the story. He wasn't just the king sitting in his throne and God saying he was going to make his lineage go in, uh, 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 carry on forever. He also was the one that went through the lonely nights in the fields tending sheep. He was hunted like an animal by a king that he was loyal to and he felt rejected and alone. He fought battles. He struggled with family issues and he could look back and see at that moment the fingerprints of God all over his life. God, help us to recognize You see, my bio is not my story. It's a list of a few accomplishments, but it's not my story. You see, my story has pain, it has heartache, but it also has triumph, and it has joy. It has valleys, and it has mountaintops, and everything in between. 
You see, my story is littered with the fingerprints of a Savior all over it. I can't deny what God has done in my life. I can't deny that he picked me up and carried me in those moments when I felt there was no way out. Oh, God, help us. Oh, through the rough times and the great times, I can see the evidence of a living God and his mercy and grace. Tell you one of the reasons I feel so honored to be speaking here today is because of the fingerprints of Norman Pasley on my life. I can see his influence and the influence of his parents woven through the DNA of this church. And I know that my life has some fingerprints on it because of him. But ultimately, it's the fingerprints of God that works through all of our lives and brings us to this moment we're in right now today. You gotta step back and put some kind of heart journal together and say, you know what? I know God picked me up at that time. I know he brought me here today. I know there was a God that divinely orchestrated that part of my life. Hallelujah, Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse number 13. I love this passage of Scripture. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Such a powerful verse. If I could put it in modern-day vernacular, It would be, you know what, when they recognized that Peter and John were just a bunch of dumb fishermen from Galilee. That's that's it. The Galileans, the, 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 the low country. The, I know in, uh, you know, growing up in Ohio, it was always, and, and we're from, my, my mom's side's from West Virginia, so we always got teased about, you know, hillbillies from West Virginia. If you're from uh, Texas, they tease about you being a swamp billy from Louisiana. If you're from uh, Missouri, they tease about you being from Arkansas. You know, your family trees have no forks. And uh, the, when they perceive Peter and John, though, and they saw their boldness. And then they, they recognized from the natural. These are just fishermen from Galilee. But this isn't the characteristics of a typical fisherman from Galilee. It says they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They said it's undeniable the fingerprints that he's left on their life. And now all of a sudden, he took these average fishermen that are uneducated. I uh, was teaching in Stowe the other day, and I referenced uh, Peter, the man with the foot-shaped mouth, because that's where his foot was most of the time, uh, in his mouth. And if you recognize the life of Peter, he, he had anger issues, 
He was a fly-off-the-handle, reactionary person. There, there, you know, he had a lot to be desired. And yet God shows him, you know, right after giving him the keys to the kingdom, he said, get behind me, Satan. That gives me hope. <laughs> that gives me hope. God can use Peter. He picked Peter to lead the group. Well, hey. Guy's foot was in his mouth constantly. But by the end, read the book of Peter. He wrote about submission. The hothead. You know, he tried to cut the guy's ear off. I don't think he was aiming for the ear, by the way. He was a fisherman. He wasn't a swordsman. He was going for his head. He just was bad aim. But they took knowledge of him and said, you know what? It's undeniable what has happened from them spending time with Jesus. I can't deny that something different. You know, I've always been jealous of Tom because such a great preacher. He can bust out a song in a, in a message. I can't do that. He could. He plays the organ. He, he probably don't do it much, but he can. Musically gifted. If I started singing, you guys would be leaving. So I'll save you. But Big Daddy Weave wrote a song called My Story. And it says, if I told you my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. If I told you my story, you would hear love that never gave up. If I told you my story, you would hear life, but it wasn't mine. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin, of when justice was served and where mercy wins. See, that, that's my story, church. That bio isn't my story. The story is a grace that was greater than every sin I ever committed. It was when justice was served to me, the merciful hand of God said, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm overtaking that, uh, what was served to him. And I'm letting mercy step in. He don't deserve it. I know he don't deserve it. But that's what I'm doing for him. Of kindness of Jesus that draws me in. Oh, to tell my story is really to tell about him. If I told you that story, you would hear victory over the enemy. If I told you my story, you would hear freedom that was won for me. You would hear life overcome the grave for the grace that is greater than all my sin and when justice was served and where mercy wins. That's my story, church. That's my story, church. It's the story of the fingerprints of a Savior all over my life. Let's all stand. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse number 6, says, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Uh, my wife is a tremendous prayer warrior, and she takes scriptures, and I see them. She's got a closet upstairs that's her prayer closet. 
And I see the scriptures where she takes things out and puts inserts names in them. And, and if I could say, can I not, O Calvary Church, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, Calvary Church in Cincinnati. Can you let me, God says, put my fingerprints on your life? Yeah, there's a lot of pain, but if you let me have a spot there to mold, it'll change. You'll look back one day. Right now, you're seeing pretty dim, but you're going to look back one day, and you're going to see clearly the total picture of how much I've had in store for you all along. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse number 27 says, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. It doesn't matter how low you've got. It doesn't matter how low that valley was, or how far you think you've fallen. You know what's under? His everlasting arms. And he's, they're strong. They're strong arms. Able to pick you up and hold you. They're there saying, let me put my fingerprints on your life today. I feel the presence of God in here. In a powerful way. No matter where you're at today. You could be in the midst of the greatest struggle of your life or the most exhilarating triumph you have ever experienced. Either way, His fingerprints are all over your life. And He loves you. I want to close with one final story. At work, there was a guy that we, we hired and uh, as I said, I was a company chaplain for a while. I've pastored the church in Canton for 11 years, and I've been with Ohio Grange for 24 years uh, here in a couple months. And uh, for, for a while there, I was company chaplain and, and pastoring the church. And so I would do uh, a lot of counsel, counseling, uh, you know, go to people's homes. You know, people had marriage issues, finance issues, whatever, and did funerals, did weddings, whatever was needed, and basically pastoring at the company as well. And this guy and his, his wife were having issues, and he was a very, very rough, rough individual. He'd spent n- a number of years in, in a, a, a federal prison, and uh, I went to their house, and I found myself in some interesting situations. But he, he uh, they were about to split up, and, and he said, you know what, Sean? He said, I would take a bullet for that lady right there. And I felt God prompted me, and I said, are you willing to live for her, though? You're willing to die for her, but you're not living for her at all. You're doing your own thing, totally separate from living for her. She wants you to live for her, not die for her. It's honorable that you would, would stand up if someone came to rob you. But how about tomorrow treating her and loving her and cherishing her 
the way you promised you would when you took your wedding vows. And I, I felt God told me to, to share that story with you because I want you to understand that God didn't just die for you. I think too many times that's the way we think about it, that he died for me. But he didn't just die for me. He's alive for me. And a lot of times it takes a lot more work to live for somebody than it does to die for somebody. And he's alive for you. And he loves you to that level. That he was willing to die for you, but he's also alive for you. God wants someone to know that he loves you. He loves you today. And his fingerprints are all over your life. Just get through the situation you're in and step back and recognize. When that picture comes a little clear, you're going to say, God, you were right there. I know where I was at now. Underneath were the everlasting arms and your hand was stretched out. And you had me in your grip the whole time. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your presence that's been in this house in such a powerful way. From the opening notes on the keyboard to right now, you've visited with us, Lord. You've manifest yourself. You've shown yourself alive in this place. God, I feel your presence so powerfully. And I feel like there's somebody in here that needs to understand that even in the toughest times, they'll be able to look back someday. If they don't give up, they're going to look back and they're going to be able to see your fingerprints all over their life. Dear God, I pray that you help somebody to feel your love right now. Help somebody to feel your power right now, Lord God. And recognize that you're carrying them through. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This altar's open if you want to come. I know there's a God that loves you more than you could ever imagine. And His fingerprints are all over your life. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.